Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author, ghost story, and Mike Ricksecker. Tonight, we're going to be talking about mysterious places of the world. So, it's going to be a lot of different creepy, spooky places. We'll be talking about ancient sites of power and all kinds of other. Well, we just had the triangle episode, you know, the supernatural triangles of the world episode on the uh, Haunted Road Media YouTube channel, uh, which got into a lot of different strange type of supernatural phenomenon and what happens in those different vortices areas or vortex areas. Vortices would be plural. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of that stuff too. But first, just before we kick off into all of that, a couple of quick announcements. So first of all is uh, Peripheral from Leslie Fear. Uh, was just released today. This is a new Haunted Road Media book release. So please be sure to check that out. It is a supernatural romance thriller. You can find it on Amazon, of course, or you can go to hauntedroadmedia.com and get the link there, which of course will take you to uh, Amazon as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, new book from Leslie Fear. Check it out. It's, uh, it's really, really good. And uh, this was this was really like uh, a really what I want to say. Um, it was a heartfelt endeavor from Leslie. She put her heart and soul into this book. So please go ahead and check that out. Uh, also, for those of you that uh, have not seen yet, uh, next summer I will be hosting a uh, Ancient Mysteries of Ireland tour. Uh, that's being put on by Mysterious Adventures Tours and HauntedJourneys.com. So um, I'd love for you guys to join us. Uh, so the uh, capacity is limited. It's limited to 24. There were several spots that have already filled up, but um, it's it's a year away. I know we have no idea what's going on with uh, COVID at that point in time. I'm hoping a year from now it'll be fine. So again, would love to have some Mad Hatters out there in Ireland. So this is a uh, going to be a very very cool trip. Uh, all kinds of castles, stone circles, uh, many many things that uh, are going to be included with this trip. So you can check that out again. MysteriousAdventuresTours.com and uh, HauntedJourneys.com. You get all the details there. So um, gonna be a great time. So what's also a great time is this show beyond the shadows where we are going to be covering mysterious places of the world so feel free down in the chat to uh toss me your mysterious places uh you know, I, if it's a bucket list item or a place that you went to that you thought was creepy cool or what have you and we'll discuss those places as well um i'm going to be well for me some of them i visited I guess maybe one <laughs> and others I will be visiting and others that are uh, bucket list items somewhere down the road. So uh, we're going to start this off kind of a little kind of we'll go down a creepy cool route. We'll get into some uh, places that are a little bit more macabre. Then we'll get into some more like ancient sites of powers and, and that type of, you know, mysterious energy type of places. Uh, so where we are going first the Paris Catacombs. That's right. This one's a bucket list item of mine. I've always wanted to uh, check this place out. Um, you know, really for years and years and years. I will have to say that the the movie As Above, So Below. Uh, if you guys have ever seen that, um, it, it has made me want to really dive into the uh, the restricted section, the area that you're not supposed to go. 
because <laughs> I actually filmed it there. So um, I think it's still the only movie that was ever filmed almost entirely in the Paris catacombs. Really, really wild. Um, but, you know, this this whole place, uh, you know, just the backstory of it, where basically the, what happened here, these are old mines uh, from the area around Paris, which... Um, and B3 Aerospace is telling me, no, don't do it. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you can't get arrested for that. So <laughs> so I'm not encouraging people to do it. I'm just saying, hey, I do fancy to, to go to the restriction section. In any case, um, yeah, so these were actually mines around Paris. And, of course, the city expanded. And one of the issues was, okay, so the cemeteries also, not only the mines, but the cemeteries were also originally outside the city of Paris. And what happened is, of course, the city grew and grew and grew and eventually, you know, surrounded the cemetery. Well, they kept dumping bodies and dumping bodies and dumping bodies into the cemetery. And eventually what happened was they, and this was the uh, Cemetery of the Innocents. It, it was the name of the cemetery. A, a wall from an adjoining building to the cemetery. You see how basically the city is built around it. These are illustrations from uh, the 1700s. And for those that are watching the uh, YouTube live stream, those that are listening to the podcast later won't actually be able to see this. But um, basically, it had gotten so jam-packed with bodies that uh, walls to adjacent buildings were caving in and bodies were spilling out into the basements of buildings uh, next door. So they made a plan to go ahead and remove the bodies. And this is one illustration where you can actually see some of the skulls and you're kind of digging things up here to move the bodies to the mines. Um, took several years to go ahead and do that. And the mines ended up be becoming what we now call the Paris catacombs. So, um, you know, really, really very uh, creepy and macabre, but, um, you know, it's a massive tourist attraction now because you can see that as they were putting the bones in there, at some point they decided, well, instead of just dumping all the bodies in here, we're going to, to, to them, this was like creating a shrine. And so they uh, enshrined all of these bodies uh, into these mines that were down there. So, um, you know, very, very creepy. Um, P3 Airspace Paris Municipal Ossuary, 1786, I think is uh, older, like Roman times. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these bodies go uh, way, way back. So, um, like I said, that originally the, um, you know, the cemetery was outside the city limits of Paris. Well, now, I mean, Paris has expanded and expanded and expanded that it expanded far, far past the cemetery. But they kept dumping the bodies in there and then, you know, it just became too much. So um, it's kind of the same thing with our our next tale here, which we'll, we'll keep a little macabre here for a short time. Uh, so the Sedlec Ossuary, uh, this is in uh, Kutnahora, Czech Republic. And basically what the deal here is, they, they call this the uh, the Church of the Bones. Um, and what had happened is a uh, bishop back in, I want to say it was the 13th century, century uh, had brought back 
uh, dirt from Golgotha, from the place where uh, that Jesus was supposed to have been crucified. So he brought this dirt back, sprinkled it uh, amongst the grounds, and because you know the townspeople had heard, well, this church is just the Church of All Saints, um, because this church was supposed to have this dirt from Golgotha, they wanted to be buried there. And so the cemetery became inundated with bodies and bodies and bodies and bodies. Well, again, kind of the same thing, the city expanded past the cemetery. And so they eventually shut the cemetery down and it was, um, you know, it was like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, you know, we're talking like, again, in, in the 13th century where it got shut down. And what they ended up doing was in the place where the, uh, where the chapel is at. So this does not encompass the entire uh, Church of All Saints. This is just a part of it. Um, and what they ended up doing was they stacked all of these skeletons in this area of the church, basically like the basement area, and it wasn't until the 1800s that um, that somebody came in. Uh, I forget. I forget his name. Um, but basically, to clean this up, and he created this macabre artwork. Um, and what was he? He was a sculptor. Okay, <laughs> and he created this macabre architecture down there in the uh in the sedlec ossuary is what it's now called yeah i mean this is basically what is that like a chandelier i'm sorry if those that are on the podcast can't see this um is essentially a chandelier of bones that's why they call it the church of the bones so he was a uh he was a local wood carver is what it was so so we'll stay in that part of the world for right now and we are actually going to move on to the Hoyabachu forces, actually in Romania. So, okay, south from the Czech Republic. This location is one of those energy vortex areas. And we're going to be getting into more of that here very, very shortly. And you can see, for those watching on YouTube, how the... Um, how the trees grow in a very strange way. They're all very twisted like this. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of urban legends about the place, of course, concerning uh, paranormal activity, extraterrestrials, things like that. People go into the forest and, you know, they feel that energy surrounding them. You know, people talk about feeling lightheaded when they go in. There's, an area of the forest where things don't grow. Um, so it's been pretty much chalked up to one of these energy vortex areas that really there hasn't been, usually when we see these areas, we see standing stones, we see structures, pyramids, whatever, we're gonna get into some of that. This one doesn't really have that. It just, it has the twisted trees. It has the area that, that nothing grows, but yet, people go in there and they actually feel the energy and they experience a lot of different type of supernatural phenomena within there. So, um, did I miss, um, 
Oh, Victoria's saying we have trees like that. They're near the coast. They grow bent because of the constant wind. Yeah, this is in the middle of Romania. So that's one of the kind of crazy things about this uh, about this force is that you know, there. This isn't at a place like it's it's near the coast or or what have you. This is you know very much inland. Um, you know, and it's a uh, fairly sizable forest. So, yeah, and Robert Hanna, uh, in the middle of the forest, nothing grows. And that's, you know, one of the attributes of this uh, of this supposed vortex area. Um, I know a lot of paranormal investigators have gone out there. You, you can, you know, even here on, on YouTube, you can, um, you can look up Poyabachu Forest and find all kinds of different people that have gone out there to try to uh to document this crazy activity and they do get some interesting paranormal activity out there so um you know very very creepy mysterious area area out in the middle of a forest rick gabbert when was that uh forest discovered well i mean the forest has been there for <laughs> for a long long time um i can't say it's always been there because of course over millions of years uh, the landscape has changed, but I mean, the forest it has been there, uh, you know, for a long, long time. It, it's it's not like it was planted or, or whatever at some point. At some point. Um. So Victoria, big explosion or a meteor hit? So that's a uh, an interesting question. Um, there is. Where does the, uh, somebody might have it down there, the Moldavite. It's that area of the world where Moldavite comes from. Where basically it was a meteor that came down, struck, is it the Czech Republic or is it Romania? I, I'm thinking it was Romania. Where that meteor hit, um, it's the uh, uh, the green crystals. But you can see how it was fluid and melted and all that. And because of the vegetation that was there at the time when the uh, meteor hit, uh, it created it into a green type of crystal, kind of like with the Libyan desert glass where the meteor hit and it turned it into a whitish yellow type of a crystal. So it's an interesting question. Is it possible that in that center where nothing grows, was there a meteor that once hit there? That's a good question. No idea. Uh, fungi, fungi. Do they go there with dowsing rods? Um, you know, they go down. They go out there with all kinds of things. Dowsing rods. Um, you know, EMF detectors. You know, people go out there with. You know how I feel about spirit boxes. Well, they go out there with spirit boxes. Um, you know, all the different cameras and everything. So they go out there with a lot of different type of equipment. So, but dowsing rods. Yeah, they've gone out there with that. Yeah, Alina, I'd like to see Mike spend a whole night at a haunted forest one night. Um, I mean, I, I <laughs> wasn't haunted, but I, I used to have the forest right in my own backyard. So um, you never know. Um, maybe someday soon. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So, um, but that kind of leads me into, as we're talking about more of these uh, energy type areas, the triangle areas. So I covered this on the Hunter Road Media channel here uh, very recently, this past Friday. Uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, please go ahead and check it out. Um, you know, I was, of course, on the Alaska Triangle here uh, 
just this past, when did I come out, February? And so people are really familiar with the Bermuda Triangle. And basically, this is an area of the world in which is a it's a concentrated vortex area. So energy from the Earth's core has basically welled up into this area. We call them triangles because there's usually three points on a map that we kind of put it between. But it's really more amorphous. It doesn't necessarily have a set shape. But we call it triangles because we like to put it into three points like that. Um, and so... We're really familiar with the Bermuda Triangle, which is Bermuda, Miami, and um, in Puerto Rico. Of course, this is where we've had all kinds of, uh, you know, flights go missing, boats go missing. Um, you know, Bruce Gernon had that crazy uh, portal that he basically flew through and ended up, you know, 30 minutes ahead of schedule to his intended destination, um, all kinds of crazy things. When we did the Alaska Triangle, we talked about a lot of different uh, strange phenomena up there. Uh, again, missing airplanes, um, crazy things going on with, uh, with ghost ships, um, of course, all kinds of cryptid activity and, and things like that. Uh, another interesting thing uh, about the Bermuda Triangle is the Bimini Road, and we're going to see that in some of these uh, different locations that are like this. Now, the Bimini Road is a structure uh, under the water, which, I mean, basically, it, it does look like a man-made structure. They call it a road because it runs in a straight line. For all we know, it's the top of a wall, but um, it's near Bimini, and it looks like a road, so that's what we call it. Now, many people believe this may be the uh, the lost city of Atlantis. And, of course, the mainstream likes to say that, well, it's a natural structure. For those that are watching YouTube, I mean, that does not look exactly natural to me. And if you actually view the whole thing, it's it, I, I'd be very, very hard-pressed to call that natural. So it definitely looks like a man-made structure. Now, is it the lost city of Atlantis? And that's probably where the mainstream just likes to uh, say, no, it's not man-made at all because they don't want to deal with the questions of Atlantis. Well, I don't necessarily think it's Atlantis either, but I do believe it's man-made. Now, there are all over the world, uh, you know, I, I would venture to say hundreds, maybe thousands I probably have to be thousands of lost cities all over the place. Our water level right now is quite a bit higher than it was, say, 10,000 years ago. You know, there, um, there's a thing known as the Ice Age uh, that we no longer are in. And once that ice melted, uh, it, the water had to go somewhere. And so the water level has been... Uh, raising ever since then and so these coastal towns and islands and uh, all these different locations are now underwater so Bimini Road I would certainly say it is a lost human civilization Atlantis and you'd have to sell a lot more uh, sell me a lot more on that because there are other locations across the world that seem more likely uh, people have made great cases for 
I don't necessarily ascribe to a single one, but people have made great cases for locations all over the world. So for me, that one is a, it's a lost human civilization, but not necessarily Atlantis. Um, all right. So that was Bermuda. I did want to hit on some of the other, uh, triangle areas here. So Bridgewater, um, this is uh, Abington, uh, Freetown, and Rehoboth in Massachusetts. A little bit of a smaller one, but still a lot of uh, crazy activity that happens in there. Um, you know, the Hockamock Swamp is the more centralized uh, area that has this activity. Again, paranormal uh, activity, supernatural sightings, um, all, all different types of cryptids like dogs with red eyes. Uh, there are Bigfoot sightings in there, uh, different things like that. Uh, extraterrestrial sightings uh, also occurred around there. It seems to be a hot spot for UFOs. And that's also another thing that seems to go kind of part and parcel uh, with these different areas are the uh, extraterrestrial sightings. You get a lot of those in these different areas as well. So it leads you to wonder, okay, are the extraterrestrials also attracted to these different magnetic areas? And I see that Tom McNicholas has a question. What uh, What do you think the energy in the tri or yeah, what do you think the energy in the triangles comes from? Uh, basically, that is the um, the energy from the Earth's core that comes up uh, into these areas in a more concentrated way. So uh, there could be a variety of reasons as to you know why it's more concentrated in that one particular area. When we talk about the telluric currents that run across the Earth. Um, you know, basically the Earth's energy grid and what have you. Um, and these particular areas that have um, this more centralized uh, energy, could it be, well, like in Alaska, the Earth there is more volatile. So it's, it's moving around more, it's shaking more. Um, so you have that type of energy that's more directed toward there. Uh, could it be something like, um, you know, maybe the Earth's crust in that location is a little thinner or what have you, or maybe there are, again, kind of like in Alaska where you have these fault lines. And so there's, you know, that energy that's welling there, but also it would give you more access to the core because you have these cracks that are right there. So could it be something like that? Um, so there's a variety of reasons as to why this energy could be there, but it is that energy, that magnetic energy from the Earth's core that's coming up into these areas. And that's essentially what we end up calling a vortex. So the other things that happen around it, like the portals, um, the portal is basically created from the vortex energy. So for those planes that have gone missing, um, like Flight 19 in the Bermuda Triangle or the missing Douglas in Alaska and, and what have you, and a lot of these, and we'll get to the Nevada Triangle here in a moment and think, in other locations, um, you know, are they disappearing through a, a portal that the vortex has created? And there is some evidence to show that, well, maybe they have. So, um, Tim Schoen, could there still be as yet undiscovered triangles? Uh, yeah, sure. You know, I, I think a lot of these places are, you know, some of them are remote, so we're not as familiar with them. Uh, others, like Bridgewater's in a more populated area. Bermuda, there's so much traffic uh, through there. Um, 
you know, even now, you know, people take cruises through there. You know, my my parents just before COVID went on a cruise and they cruised right through the Bermuda Triangle uh, to get to Anchorage, Alaska. You have to fly through, you know, the Alaska Triangle. Um, we get to some of these, let me get to one of these others. Uh, that's uh, Bridgewater. Um, okay, so the Dragon Triangle. So this is the one um, over near Japan. So Japan to the Philippines, uh, to the... Uh, Bonin Islands, uh, which is like Guam. Um, this area here, now the Japanese government has actually declared uh, part of this area dangerous for sea travel. Uh, there's been you know, so many lost um, you know, shipping vessels, uh, fishing boats. Uh, one of the more famous incidents was uh, Kublai Khan, which was the grandson of Genghis Khan. And he lost a fleet that had 40,000 uh, crew members within that fleet. It was a massive fleet. They were, it was an invasion uh, that they had planned, and they lost their crew to these waters. So I guess um, not too long ago, they have uh, rediscovered that fleet at, at the bottom of the water. So even with knowing that some of these areas are very dangerous, you still get the traffic through there. Um, so I guess in a way, you're taking that chance. Now, the numbers are small. I mean, how many flights have gone up to Alaska? How many times have people you know gone through the Bermuda Triangle? Even Christopher Columbus sailed through the Bermuda Triangle. Now, he... Uh, mentioned seeing a uh, uh, a ball of fire crash into the water. It's probably a meteor, but it makes you wonder, you know, is that meteor that he saw helping to feed what's going on there in the Bermuda Triangle? Um, there could have been many meteors that fell into the water there. But he also mentioned that uh, his compass was acting extremely erratic while traveling through those waters. Uh, the Nevada Triangle here. I mean, this is Reno to Las Vegas to Fresno. I, I think people are going to Reno and Vegas a lot. Um, you know, it's you, know, you got the Sierra Nevada mountains there, so that is treacherous. Uh, area 51 is also in that area, so you know, you know, talk about a mysterious area. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of mysterious things going on in Area 51. So what's interesting here about um, the Nevada Triangle, um, they talk about a, a mountain wave, which is an interesting gravitational phenomenon where the mountain range, as you go up in elevation, it actually has some of its own gravity. And so that gravity wave... Uh, from the mountains can actually affect the airplane's instruments. So as they you know get closer to some of these mountains, their instruments can start acting a little wonky, and that is where some of these crashes do happen. So um, it's not necessarily supernatural. It's more natural, but it has to do with the energy that's within uh, these mountains in that area. And so they have had uh, tens of thousands of crashes uh, within the mountains there over, you know, 60 year period. So it's, it's quite extensive. Uh, Victoria Monday, uh, hollow earth. Could it be a system of caverns and not really a hollow earth? 
A um, little bit of a different topic, but that would be a mysterious area of the Earth, right? Okay, hollow Earth. Uh, and I believe I believe you're right. So uh, there is that crazy uh, illustration out there where they kind of make the Earth look like a set of parentheses, and then there's like a sun in the middle and you know all this other stuff going on within uh, the middle of the Earth. Um, I, I don't think that the the Earth is just a shell with all kinds of other stuff inside of it. Um, but the idea that there are large caverns uh, throughout the world that would essentially make parts of the Earth hollow, uh, I do believe that. Um, you know, we do we do see rather, rather excuse me we do see rather large cave systems um, around the world, uh, and also if you take into account for lava tubes which you know the deeper parts of the world could be much bigger than what we're accustomed to closer to the surface you know as you get further down those uh, magma vents you know expand and expand and expand as you get closer to the core so would old lava tubes further into the earth be larger yeah they would be larger so in that sense, those areas would have a hollowness to the earth. So, but I don't think it's just one, you know, I don't think we're a giant shell. <laughs> People think that about the, uh, about the moon too. The interesting thing about the moon though, is that um, in studies that they've done, there is a bit of hollowness to the moon where when they, you know, crashed one of the landers into it, they were able to, for, um, what was this? several hours uh measure a resonance from that meaning that um you know basically the the moon was ringing like a bell and the mass of the moon is actually uh lower than what they would expect for a rock of that size so uh, there is a a bit of hollowness to the moon as well um rick gabbert when was the first disappearance in bermuda and alaska triangle well that's a good question um, because with the Bermuda Triangle, you're talking, you know, quite an extensive history. You know, with either of these, we're, we're not, we don't know the full history um, because these areas have existed for you know thousands of years. Um, but if you take um, like the Bermuda Triangle as far back as you know, we mentioned Christopher Columbus. Now ships were sailing to and from after Columbus uh, came to America. Uh, ships were sailing to and from uh, quite a lot. And so, I mean, you'd have to do some research as to, to find out, okay, what was the first shipwreck in that area, you know, after Columbus discovered America um, or has the claim of discovering America. We know it was, you know, like the Vikings beforehand or even earlier, um, Templars, Egyptians, you know, there's a lot of theories as to what really happened back then. Um, but in any case, if you're going from uh, Columbus's point in time, well, you're probably one of those shipwrecks uh, following him. As far as Alaska, well, whenever uh, flight started becoming a little bit more normal, you're talking 40s. I mean, that missing Douglas was you know, right at 1950. So a little bit before that, you know, 1940s. But you're talking... At least since the, the number that they like to throw out is since 1988, 16,000 people have gone missing since then. Um, 
but there have been a lot of high profile cases. I mean, we had the U.S. House Majority Leader um, Hale Boggs in the early 1970s was lost. I have no idea whatever happened to the airplane is just gone. Kind of like with the missing Douglas, completely gone, no trace of it whatsoever. Now, what was interesting about the missing Douglas, though, is that shortly thereafter, um, like a couple months later, there was a smaller plane that went missing in the same area, which they were able to find immediately. But yet this much larger plane on a clear day, they couldn't. It's really weird. Uh, and then the other one, let's see. So we spent a lot of time here. The other one was the Lake Michigan Triangle. Um, Tom McNicholas down there in the chat put me on to this one um, a while ago. Because, um, you know, it's, it's up there near Chicago and all that. <clears throat> give you a shout out there Tom now this is and there's a series of stories and if you watch that video on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel you'll get a ton of those um, between you know what was the O.M. McFarland Captain Donner he just went completely missing from his cabin um, you know they were they were out on a run with the boat you know delivering some ore or whatever it was and he said hey you know wake me up when we get near the port so as they're getting near to port, the crew knocks on his door, and he's not answering. They try to open the door. The door is locked. You know, they keep knocking, trying to open the door, nothing. You know, he's not answering. What in the world's going on? So they end up breaking down the door, and he's gone, just completely disappeared. And, of course, it's you know, seems unusual that, you know, it doesn't seem like he would have, you know, toss himself overboard or whatever because he was like hey i'm tired i'm gonna lay down go to sleep and you know just wake me you know so he gave them instructions to come get him and just boom he was gone um flight 2501 northwest um another one from 1950 where uh flying over the lake now that one did meet with some nasty weather they ended up having to really lower their altitude and they were gone um They've never recovered the plane. What's interesting about that is shortly thereafter, within a couple of hours, a couple of police officers claimed that they saw red lights over the lake. Now, these red lights have been seen over the lake since about 1913 was the first sighting, or at least first reported sighting for lights over the lake. So we don't usually think of UFO sightings in the early 1900s, but yeah, yeah, um, People have reported lights in the skies for a long, long time. And so, at least in that area, since about 1913. And they were seen over the lake just after this disappearance. So, you know, a lot of these types of stories there around Lake Michigan. Well, what's interesting about Lake Michigan, you know, we mentioned the Bimini Road before. Well, Lake Michigan has these standing stones. You know, they're not huge like Stonehenge but they are in a um, similar formation as Stonehenge they have the same alignment as Stonehenge these are in about 40 feet of water it's not extremely deep about 40 feet of water in Lake Michigan and there are theories out there that these standing stones could be either helping to power the lake or what these standing stones were tapping into because you got to remember the um, 
the ancients, when they put these standing stones up there, yes, they were to usually align with something celestial, but they were built in these places to be able to tap into that earth energy that we were talking about before. Um, so if there is that energy within the ground here, well, it's under the lake. There's all these crazy things that happen in and around the lake. So there must be one of these nodes for lack of a better term of energy i see uh tom had mentioned or asked there in the uh in the chat are they different than ley lines talking about the telluric currents so these are terms that kind of get mixed up together so uh the telluric currents are that's the actual uh energy that's flowing through the earth the ley lines are basically us recognizing that hey we've built different sites like um, the standing stones or a temple or a church or some you know place of worship or what have you uh, in these different locations they've all lined up well our um, ancestors long long ago when they were building these locations on these sites because they were tapping into the energy now some of them didn't even realize that's what they were doing because um, a lot of times what ends up happening is you know we build you know, a church or a temple on top of a site that was already sacred to begin with. And we, we had deemed it sacred because either there's already a previous structure on there or, um, or there were standing stones there or what, whatever we, a lot of us, a lot of our ancestors didn't realize what it was that made the place so special. They just knew that it was special because of their ancestors. And so it goes way, way back, but it was special. The ancients knew that this place was special because of that energy. That energy was the total occurrence. So what ended up happening is over the millennia, all these places ended up lining up. That's the ley line are the um, are the lines of the structures that were built up. But underneath what flows through the earth is the telluric currents, the earth energy grid. But the terms get confused a lot. Our uh, our friend Freddie Silva, um, the first time that we had him on, uh, back when we were still doing the Edge of the Rabbit Hole show on the Hunter Road Media YouTube channel. Um, I had him for like the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the show <laughs> kind of explain that difference. He does a fantastic job because he's done research on this uh, for, for a couple of decades. So, um, <laughs> Victoria Monday. I heard that Walmarts are built on historically sacred sites. Yeah, that's that's actually uh, well. You know what's sad? Um, um, Galveston, Texas, where years ago they had that massive uh, hurricane go through. Uh, that orphanage that was completely wiped out. There's a historic marker there now for it, but they built a Walmart on top of where that orphanage had been. So. They'll do that with Walmart. Insane. All right. So moving on, because we're talking about the Earth's energy. Uh, we have standing stones here under the water. Well, let's get into some other mysterious locations like the Great Sphinx, the Riddle of the Sphinx. So what's interesting about the Sphinx, what's more mysterious to me about the Sphinx um, of course, there are a lot of things. You know, one, 
I, I think most people agree this is probably not the original head of the Sphinx, <laughs> that it was recarved from something else. Now, people debate over what that originally was, but um, most likely was not the head of a human. But that's what's there now. So we have no idea what it originally looked like. Um, there are, of course, the mysteries of you know what's under it. A lot of people talk about a um, you know if there's a library that's under there. Um, Ed, Edgar Casey predicted that there was uh, something buried under the right paw of the Sphinx. Well, uh, uh, testing has been done that there is some there is a hollow area under that paw. Um, they have not allowed anybody to get under there. The other part is, how old is this thing? Well, of course, um, you know, mainstream would have you guess much, much younger. And then people say, well, the, the erosion here is from the enclosure area is from water. And so it would make it much, much older than it is. So this is the big debate over the Sphinx is exactly how old is this thing. Um, and I tend to go with the older dates because I mean, just I, I've been able to make, you know, rivulets like this, you know, in in my backyard when I was a kid playing in, you know, with the hose. Um, you can actually see that, you know, type of water erosion. Now I'm not a geologist, but you know, I can see it when I look at it. But of course, right there by the Sphinx are dun, 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 the Great Pyramids. Um, you know, lining up here uh, in this particular photo with Orion. Uh, many, many mysteries about the pyramids. And I don't even know which ones we're going to go into, or I don't even think we have time to really dive into it all. We got about 15 minutes left in the show. Yes, it is a very cool pick. <laughs> um, I have a lot more coming out on Egypt next year, but big mystery here, of course, is you know what was their real function? Um, you know, there were no bodies ever found here. Um, Again, mainstream likes to say that these were, um, you know, that these were tombs, but no, no bodies were ever found here. Now there are many theories as to what the, uh, you know, the Great Pyramid could have been, from being its own power plant to um, being a place of. Uh, being able to ascend into another dimension, you know, a lot of different theories as to what exactly uh, it was. And there's B3 aerospace power stations. Yeah. So, um, and also saying, I feel the Sphinx was built by the Gobekli Tepe folks. Yeah. I didn't even include uh, Gobekli Tepe here, Yeah, which is definitely, uh, that's another mysterious location. I, I can only choose so many, but I'm glad you guys are bringing up some other ones here as well. Uh, because that's another mysterious location. It really threw a monkey wrench into all the uh, dating of these ancient structures. Of Well, not really of the ancient structures, but it threw a monkey wrench into the dating of civilization because Gobekli Tepe now became like, you know, the oldest known uh, temple of its kind. You know, at that time it was built. And, you know, we're, we're talking like over 10,000 years ago. Um, 
you know, humans were just supposed to be hunter-gatherers. So what are a bunch of hunter-gatherers doing building a massive, massive temple complex like that? It just doesn't make any sense. So it really calls into question everything that we know about the birth of civilization. I like the idea of, you know, that civilizations have been cyclical, that, you know, we've we've built up, you know, this great uh, knowledge over time, and then, you know, it gets wiped out and we have to build it up again. You know, things like, things like the, you know, the pyramids, uh, you know, there's a lot of aspects to them and some of these huge megalithic structures around the world that we're only now coming into the technology um, and the know-how to be able to build some of these things. Some of them we still really don't know um, how they would have done it, but yet they did back then. So somewhere along the way, we lost the knowledge where they had developed some system that was amazing and then we lost it. And then we built back up and we lost it. So um, these great, great mysteries of the world. So we see that with uh, the, the pyramids in Egypt. And I could throw out all kinds of uh, pyramids as, as well from around the world. This is Teotihuacan, um, the uh, Temple of the Moon. You know, another fantastic uh, you know, structure. And there's all kinds of... Uh, you know, mine pyramids that I could have thrown in here, but I just wanted to throw it out there at least one. But again, another one of these amazing sites of power. And I come back to Stonehenge because we're talking about the sites of power. The idea that the ancients knew of this energy that they could tap into. And I find it, really intriguing now that we're starting to relearn about these things now you know on the precipice of our world in chaos you know is this it, it makes me wonder is this sort of what happened before that we had all of these you know all of this knowledge and we knew you know how to do all of these different things in the whirlwind the chaos and you know we had to start all over again um I mentioned Atlantis before, talking about the Bimini Road, but it does make me wonder about Atlantis. And I put it out there in a video before. I asked, actually asked Johnny Enoch when he was on the show. It was a completely, you know, random wild question that just popped into my head. But could Atlantis have been a giant portal that maybe they had one of these, you know, standing stone structures in the center of the city? Um, you know, like what we see with something here like Stonehenge. And they tapped into too much power and they essentially annihilated themselves. And we've seen across the world in some of these ancient civilizations splashes of energy that had been expelled that we can't really account for. Like, how in the world did this happen? you know, with this ancient culture. Now, these standing stones were supposed to be able to tap into this type of energy. Um, I also include here Drombeg. So this is in Ireland. I had to throw this in there. I had to throw this into the mix because we're going to be going to Ireland next year. <laughs> That's another standing stone structure. But another one that I actually um, 
you know, that's one that we're going to be going to next year. One that I went to this past year was Chocolate Canyon. Not a, um, not a, a standing, you know, a set of standing stones, but actually a massive, massive complex of, uh, of dwellings, of ceremonial chambers. Uh, you see the uh, the kivas here. The, this is basically where they would hold those ceremonies. There's a lot of different theories as to how these um, looked at one point. They may have had um, wooden ceilings. They're the ancient alien guys think they had domes. We don't know. Um, but what is really interesting about this location is that it is aligned to the stars and the uh, the peoples there that uh, the Anasazi talked about the star people so of course they'll relate that you know the ancient alien guys will relate that to aliens and it may have been or some people from the heavens or what have you but they were um, they were certainly tapping into an energy that was there I was there and I felt it um, you know, there's definitely a buzz about the place that you can still feel to this day, even though the location lies in ruins. And I I met a woman there. Um, she was a, uh, a native Hopi, and the Hopi are supposed to be the descendants of the Anasazi. We don't know for sure, but that's what that's what most people believe. And with her specifically, um, you know, she could also feel that energy there and and said that she could feel the energy of her ancestors there within the stone. And and I certainly uh I certainly believed her. So there's a lot of interesting things about this location. If you ever get a chance to go out there, it's, it's in New Mexico. Definitely check it out. Um, another thing that I found interesting was, um, like this here, um, this is basically, it, I guess you could call it a little hallway. Those on the podcast aren't going to be able to see this, but it's only about three and a half, four feet tall. It's not very tall. You, you have to really crouch down to get under there. Now, some people have tried to say, well, people were just shorter back then. Um, and I'm like, well, yeah, they may have been a little shorter, but they're not that short. Um, I think there was something much more, I don't know, maybe religious or reverent about this, where they were um, basically forcing their people to bow down to walk through there to get into the other chamber. And that other chamber that's on that side uh, had some interesting other structures to it, so that there was... Um, um, an inlet in one of the walls where you would put something. I, mean, I don't know if you were to put an idol or whatever. And then there was a little basin on the floor and just some other things about that chamber that um, had a more ceremonial nature about it. So it makes sense to me that you would bow down uh, getting into there. Now, one of the other interesting things, I didn't include the photo here because that was on um, another device, was a T-shaped structure. You know, I say structure, but really it was it would be like the inverse of a structure. Basically, it was a T-shaped doorway. Um, and the T-shaped doorways are um, 
you, you see them throughout the region down into some of the the uh, the Aztec um, structures and it's supposed to you know signify uh, you know something um, um, I guess more religious in nature for lack of a better term something more reverent when you walk through that door so you have to walk through there from the other side to get into there and then you have this other doorway where you have to you know crouch down um, you know and, and that t-shaped doorway was kind of regular sized but it was the t-shape but something that's interesting b3 airspace mentioned gobekli tepe to me or or mentioned gobekli tepe earlier in the chat um and what struck me while i was there i'm i recorded a segment on it but i didn't actually include it in my chaco canyon uh walkthrough video was to me the t-shape reminded me of the t-shape although there were structures at gobekli tepe so basically i was seeing similarities from a structure in new mexico to a temple structure in the middle east now there are thousands and thousands of years difference between the two but i still find the similarities interesting that you could have these things these ancient structures like this mysterious areas of the world thousands and thousands of miles apart thousands and thousands of years apart but still have similarities to them still have connections to each other in some way we've talked a lot about the connected universe on here and i hadn't hadn't yet mentioned it tonight but many of these things do have connections to each other and if we go back to the tiller currents the earth's energy grid they're all connected to each other anyway through the earth but i believe the ancient people knew this and you see similarities between a lot of these structures that supposedly they didn't have connection to each other physically but yet they were still creating similar things across the world which is really really interesting so how did they know to do that um and beat through airspace saying teleport well maybe maybe they did know a way to teleport back then and we just have forgotten that now maybe that's what they use some of these structures for um where is that one um is it tiwanaku that has the um the uh the gateway stone where basically it's carved into the mountain the uh the the gateway the stargate um that just looks like a doorway to nowhere it's interesting so did that actually function at one point in time we really don't know i think that was it i think i yep chaco canyon was my last one on here so if you guys have any other comments or questions throw them out down there um yeah b3 airspace ancients had more technology than we, than we think they absolutely did um you know, it's not um, it's not technology in the way we think of it today, and I th I think that's where people kind of get um, kind of get crossed up because when people talk about you know lost civilizations and a global cataclysm destroying them, um, 
you know, they'll talk about how, well, it was, they, it was a society, it was a civilization that had high technology. And when we think of high technology today, we think of like computers and cell phones and things like that. And I don't necessarily think that they had those types of things, but they had other technology that in many ways surpasses what we have today. I mean, to be able to create those structures that we can't today, they had to have some form of technology that was higher than ours to be able to do that in a sense. So they knew how to, how to do things that we couldn't. We know how to do things that they can't, like maybe this computer and the cell phone and all that. So there's different forms of being a high technology. You know, we, I think people kind of get focused and say, well, this is what high technology means. Well, no, there's, there's different forms of it. Robert Hanna, how about the stories of the Vimanas? Um, the Vimanas, yeah, you're, you're getting into the, um, um, the Indian culture. Uh, we're not going to have time for that tonight. We're already at our hour mark, um, and those would take quite a while. But um, I did make a reference to them earlier when I was talking about kind of the cataclysms, you know, annihilating certain civilizations that, you know, how uh, we may have done it to ourselves in some in some sense. Um, Victoria Monday, Easter Island, the heads, what's up with that? Excellent question. I'll refer you right now to Freddie Silva's work because we are at the end of the show. Um, you know, Freddie actually covers a lot on the heads. There's the interesting thing about Easter Island is, of course, that um, one, it may have been bigger than it used to be. Um, how they move those heads we don't really know you know again the mainstream kind of has their theories well you know they they rolled them they rolled them into place with rollers and it's like well there's not even trees on the island to make that happen there are stories of uh giants that have once lived on the island like when easter island was first discovered that there were actually giants that roamed on the island so did they have a hand in creating these and propping them up and all that possibly um they seem to have similarities to uh heads on uh and statues on other islands within the uh the pacific rim so were they you know people that traveled on boat to that island possibly so there's a lot of different uh theories about easter island as well so but we're not gonna be able to get into those this evening we are going to have to wrap it up. So I really do appreciate everybody uh, hanging out tonight and talking about mysterious places of the world. This is really just the tip of the iceberg because there are so, so many mysterious places on the earth. And um, you guys have really been um, you know, asking some great questions about other ones that you know, I didn't have on my little selection here. Uh, Christy, we'd be returning to Chaco Canyon in the near future. I would love to. <laughs> Chaco Canyon uh, was a was extremely high on my bucket list. And if you if you have seen any of my uh, content that I posted uh, from Chaco Canyon. Uh, on Honda Road Media YouTube channel or on my Instagram or anything like that. Um, I had a little video out there. I think it was an Instagram live that I did uh, where I was just like, I love this day. I was so excited to be there. So I definitely want to go back because I really just, you know, I hit 
Pueblo Benito and a couple of the other locations, but there's a lot to explore there. And um, I only had like about five or six hours to spend there. Because um, I was on the way back from the Shockfest in Vegas uh, and going back home. So I didn't have a ton of time. But uh, yes, I definitely want to get back there. So, all right, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and get to the shout outs.